Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Today, we're going to uh, obviously be looking at the resurrection, but we're going to be doing it out of the book of Revelation since we've spent seven weeks looking at the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. I thought we would look at the very first appearance of Jesus in the book of Revelation, which is kind of the basis for all of the letters and everything else that goes on. We're going to look at today's text. It's going to be Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 to 18. It's on the handout you received with the Get Connected card, and it'll also all be up here on the screen. Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 to 18. Hear now the words of the risen living Lord. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone who was like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. The book of Revelation is kind of unusual because in its history in the church, it's oftentimes been viewed as very confusing, hard to understand. We've, we've kind of made a, a whole industry out of trying to come up with strange things out of it. What's funny is that's because we've not taken the approach of the book itself. The word revelation or the, the title revelation apocaly- or apocalypse originally meant an unveiling. It meant to make something that was hidden clear. And so there's all kinds of visions and symbols and illusions in the book, but those things are not for us to create big charts about the end times and what happens. That's a separate question than what Revelation is really asking or what it's trying to do. The central message of Revelation is actually its name. It is the revelation or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. That's what the book tells us it's about right in the first verse, and that's what centrally everything else in the book is about. It is to tell us who Jesus is, what he has done, and why it matters, what it means for us uh, as we live our life now. So we want to take a look at those questions today. Who is Jesus? What exactly did he do? And why does it matter for you and me? Well, the first thing that the book of Revelation tells us regarding Jesus, the first unveiling is that Jesus is in fact the living God. 
And in our text today, it tells us this several ways. The first way is John says he hears this voice and he turns around and he sees seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. That's there in verse 13. I saw someone like a son of man. Now, that phrase may not be as familiar to us, but that phrase is a reference back to Daniel's vision in the Old Testament. And anybody who was familiar with the Old Testament, which was Jews, and by this time, Gentiles who were in the church were very familiar with the Old Testament, they recognized this reference. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Daniel was having a vision, and he said this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Notice that same phrase. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power, and all peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So notice Daniel's got the same phrase, one like a son of man, and this one comes into God's presence. He comes on the clouds with glory, which sounds familiar from the book of Revelation, and he comes into the presence of God Almighty, and this son of man is given full authority. And so we are told that people from every nation and tribe and language are going to worship him. That should also sound familiar because that's a major theme in the book of Revelation. And the fact that they are worshiping him tells us that this one who has come into the presence of God, while he is distinct from God in some sense, he is also God himself because only God is allowed to be worshiped. We'll in fact later on see powerful angels in the book of Revelation and John falls down to worship them and they say, don't do that, get up. You don't worship me, you only worship God. But this one in Daniel's vision is worshiped by people from all over the world. And in fact, he's worshiped because he has total authority forever and ever. He has an eternal kingdom. So through all eternity, he is going to rule and reign and be worshiped. There's only one who can have such a claim and that would be God. And so when John says, I saw one like a son of man, he's making a reference back to Daniel and he's saying this one I'm seeing is actually God in the flesh. Jesus is fully God. And he's gonna continue to use these symbols from Daniel's vision throughout Revelation and they all flow from this opening vision. But there's not only the phrase that he's one like a son of man, notice John's description of his appearance. He's got this white sash on and we're told that his head and hair are white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes are like a blazing fire and his legs are made of uh, bronze, his feet and legs are made of bronze. His voice is the sound of rushing waters and he's got seven stars he's holding in his hand and he's got this two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Now, the point of all of that is not to try and draw a picture and do all that. These are all symbolic. And what the symbols are meant to do is kind of summed up there in the end. His face is like the sun shining in all his brilliance. The point of all of this is when I turned and I saw this guy, he is awesome in his appearance. In fact, we're gonna see John's immediate reaction is to fall down as though he's dead in front of this one. So John, who is Jesus's best friend, the disciple that Jesus loved, who had so often seen Christ, and in fact, on the last night he had seen Jesus before Good Friday, you remember Jesus is down on the floor 
unwrapping himself and washing feet and doing this. John has seen Jesus in all of his humility for years. But when he turns and he sees the risen Christ, it's not one in humility. It is now one where all of his awesome power and glory is displayed. In Jesus' time on earth, his deity had been veiled by his humanity so that only a few recognized who he was. But now John says, in my vision, I saw him the way he actually is. And that vision was awesome. And these same descriptions are used in the letters to the seven churches. Those who've been here recognize many of these same phrases are used. And they all come back again in Revelation 19 when finally Jesus burst through the clouds and everything is being completed. The, the vision of Revelation is wrapping up. We see these same phrases and Jesus there is referred to as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is us recognizing this one is no mere created being. Once again, they point to the deity of Christ and to his authority. But thirdly, there's not only the phrase son of man, which was Jesus' favorite self-designation, remember, and it's actually a title of deity. And it's not only Jesus' awesome appearance, but he actually makes direct claims to deity in this text. Because John sees him and he falls down, and then Jesus pulls him up and he says, I am the first and the last, and I am the living one. And now, you can't blame John, because if you and I turned around and saw Jesus that way, what would we do? I'd be on the ground. I mean, that is not, John's there, he's worshiping, and if we heard a loud noise and you all turned to the back and that's what you saw, there would be chairs knocked over, we wouldn't know how to react. That's exactly what John does. And Jesus raises him up, and Jesus makes this claim to deity, I am the first and the last. This phrase is used many times in the book. One of the last words Jesus actually speaks, this is some of his first words in the book, and near the end, some of his last words in the book are in Revelation 22:13, 13, where he says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Alpha and Omega, of course, are the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. The first and the last are the first and the last things, the beginning and the end. This is a statement that uh, Jesus is saying, I'm making a claim to eternity. I supersede Time. time, in fact, exists within me. I don't just exist within time. Time is something that I supersede and I bound by my existence. It does not bind me. In fact, the, the same words about being the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, had already been spoken once before in the book. They were spoken by God the Father in Revelation 1.8. Now Jesus is taking the same words on his lip and saying, I too can make this claim because like the Father, I supersede time. Now, that is not something a mere human being can say. And notice Jesus then, the next phrase he uses is, I'm not only the first and the last, I am the living one. Now, why is he saying this? It's because all life in creation is derivative. You are here because God has made you. You are here and alive, and so am I, because God loans life to you. Your living is derivative. So is mine, so is every other being who has ever lived, even the mightiest of angels. But the Son of God does not have life derivatively. He's saying, I possess life in myself. I am 
the living one. This is a reference back to in the Old Testament, God is very often called the living God. He is the living one, the one who possesses life in himself. And you remember, even when God revealed himself and Moses said, what's your name? What's the name that God gives him? I am. I am. I, I, I exist. That's my name. You, you can't have another title for me. I am, I am the existent one, the living one. And John had seen Jesus seven times use that phrase for himself, which is recorded in John's gospel. And here Jesus summarizes it and says, the same thing that Yahweh said in the Old Testament, I now say, I am the living one. And so this one that John sees is God himself. And the work he does is the work of God himself. And the authority he exercises is the authority of none other than God himself. That's the first thing we learn about who Jesus is. But secondly, we learn Jesus is the risen one. Notice in verse 18, Jesus tells us, I was dead. Uh, I am the living one. I was dead. This is because he's wanting to point out here, I was truly, really dead. There have been all kinds of theories. Because see, we struggle with this. Well, how was the tomb empty? And we've come up with brilliant things like, well, it must have been he didn't really die. Yes, he got scourged and beaten to within an inch of death and then hung on a cross. And a bunch of soldiers who crucified people constantly checked him. They were sure he was dead. They stuck a spear in his side. But somehow, a couple days later, he rolled this massive stone away from the tomb and stumbled out. I simply don't have that kind of faith. Couldn't possibly exercise that kind of faith. And Jesus says, that's not what happened. I was dead. And this is Good Friday. It's what we just uh, joined together in worship with Cross Point Church two days ago. Jesus was put to death because of our sins. Jesus died to pay for my sins. And so Jesus here, as he's going to talk about conquering death in just a moment, he goes back and says, but look, I did that by dying. I was really dead. I was really put to death. But he goes on and says, I was raised from the dead. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Just as I truly, really died, so I truly, really have been risen again. I am now alive. And when he points out and says this is forever and ever, he's pointing out this is no mere resuscitation. There are a number of people who had been dead, in, and the scripture tells us they were raised up. For example, Elijah raised the widow's son. Another person was put into a tomb. You remember the prophet's bones were there, and he popped up and came back to life. Jesus had raised a widow's son. Most famously, Jesus had raised Lazarus. But probably by the time John is writing this, Lazarus may have already died again because all of those were really resuscitations. The one who had died was temporarily given earthly, temporal life again. But Jesus says, that's not what happened with me. I died, but I am alive forever and ever. Into eternity, I am alive, I will never uh, die again. Lazarus and the others died again, but I am alive forever and ever. And so John is sitting there listening to one who says that I've been raised from the dead and I am never going to die again. 
And that's because the third thing that Jesus is revealing to us here is that he is the living conqueror. Notice what he says in verse 18, behold, I'm alive again forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. The reason I died was to conquer death. I've gone through everything you have done as a race, and I have done it victoriously, and the last thing I did was I died, and I conquered death. So his resurrection is his victory over death and hell. And the keys there are a symbol of power and authority, like you have the keys to the city. We still do this today. If, if I were important enough to go somewhere and they cared that I was there, they might say, hey, Brett, we give you the keys to the city. I'm just trying to get my wife to actually give me the keys to the house, right? You can't, you know, but somebody who's really important can get that even to our day. Well, Jesus says, I've got the keys. I've got authority of death and Hades. And so what he's claiming is in death, I did battle with death and I have overcome death. And he's not doing this in a surreptitious manner. He's not saying, well, I kind of snuck in and while death was distracted, I snuck the keys out and he doesn't even know I got them. That's not the picture. No, I died. Death did everything it could do to me. It put its icy hands on me. Death thought it had conquered me, but it could not hold me. And I rose up from the dead. I strode over to death. I took death's authority away. I took Hades the place, the realm of the dead, I took its authority away, and I now have ultimate authority. I have ascended into the realm of, descended into the realm of the dead, stripped the powers of death and hell, and I have emerged victorious once and for all. And this becomes the major thing. The major thing that is unveiled in the book of Revelation is that Jesus has overcome. He has conquered all. The word overcome occurs 18 times in the book of Revelation and only 10 times in the rest of the New Testament. That's that word I've mentioned. It's from which Nike took their brand, the swoosh. The ultimate swoosh is Jesus says, I've overcome. I've walked out of the tomb. I am Nike. I am the overcomer. And because I have overcome, you now can have an overcoming life in and through me. Just as I overcame death, you too can overcome death. And the reason for this, and this is kind of a central point here, is that Jesus has done this for us. As the living one, he didn't need to conquer death for himself. But you and I needed him to conquer death. And so notice this little phrase there, when John first sees him, and again, John falls to the ground as though he's dead, and Jesus places his right hand on him and uh, says to him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, why does he say that? He's saying, John, you don't need to fear because I, the living God, am for you. I am not against you. You've walked with me, you've talked with me, you've eaten with me, and all of my authority and power was hidden. You now see who I really was, and it brings fear to your heart because would I be against you? And Jesus says, you do not need to fear. I am for you, I am uh, not against you. And so that's a message for every one of us who hear 
and see this revelation. One of the key themes of the book of Revelation is you don't need to fear. We do not need to fear. The one who holds all authority is not against you. He is for you because Jesus Christ has conquered death for us. So think how often in the scripture, fear not is spoken. How often Jesus himself said that. When he first appeared to the disciples, you remember when Peter's out on the boat and he sees Jesus and he falls down, Jesus tells him, fear not. I'm gonna turn you into a fisher of men. You you are afraid right now, but you do not need to uh, fear. This is a constant refrain because since the fall, we fear that God is here to harm us. If we go back to the garden, when Adam and Eve have sinned and they have fallen and they are now dwelling in death, the second they hear God, what do they do? They hide. And when God says, why are you hiding? What's the answer? Because I heard you and I was afraid. And the fact is, people all over today are afraid. We're afraid of God. We're afraid God will see us and he will know us. We are like Peter on the boat saying, God, I don't want you near me because I am a sinful man. I am more sinful than you realize, oh God. And Jesus is saying, no, you're more sinful than you realize. And I have conquered that for you. And I love you in spite of that. Your sin is not greater than my grace. And the righteous judgment that has come upon your sin is not greater than my victorious conquering power to crush death and hell for you. Fear not. That is God's message to us. John no longer needed to fear death because Jesus had conquered death for him. And you need to understand, John, by the time he's writing this, is a very old man. Church tradition says they had tried to kill him several times and couldn't do it. Probably all of the other apostles were dead. He had watched all of his friends and companions die one by one, almost every one of them being martyred for their faith. And John is there and he is wondering and he is waiting and Jesus is saying, you do not need to fear. I have conquered death. Whatever comes your way, I have taken care of. And even when you draw your last breath, it will not be your final breath. It will simply be the doorway into my presence. You will open your eyes. You will see me face to face because I have conquered death and I have done it for you. And that means for us, the message of Easter is we who have feared death and hell all of our lives need no longer fear it because Jesus has conquered it for us. We don't have to try and imagine it away. We don't have to to somehow just not think about it. See, that's our modern American way of handling this is we just don't think about it. But that's a fool's errand because the fact is, how many of us in here are going to die? All of us. You know the old saying, there's only two things that are sure, death and taxes, which is a false saying because taxes aren't sure. You might get away from that. You might evade the IRS. I'm not telling you to. If the IRS is listening to this tape, I'm not recommending that course of action. You might get away with not paying taxes. You and I are not gonna get away from death. And so the wise thing is to recognize it. I actually have in my office a human skull, not because I'm just into grotesque things, but because, I might be, but, but, 
That's not why I've got it there. I've got it, and underneath it, I've got Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright. We may gain a heart of wisdom. Because the Puritans of old kept real human skulls. Mine's a model. Mine's plastic. They kept the real deal there on their desk because they said, I'm going to die one day. And so my hope is not in whistling in the dark, whistling past the graveyard, thinking this is somehow not going to affect me. No, that's not wisdom. That's foolishness. I'm going to die. The question is, am I going to be raised to life? And Jesus says, you can fear not. I have conquered death. I have the keys of death and hell. And if you are in me, you will live forever. So how do we apply this? What does this mean for us? Two questions. First, have you seen and heard the living conqueror? John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. It's the Lord's day. We're here gathered in worship. Have you seen and heard the living conqueror? The one who was truly dead, but is now just as truly alive. The one who conquered death and walked out of the grave. So I'm not talking the one that, you know, people, again, we, we, we even like to sometimes sing some of our hymns that can be pretty good hymns, but, you know, you ask me how I know he lives because he lives in my heart. That, that's not how I know he lives because I could be mistaken. I know he lives because he actually, literally, really, historically walked out of the tomb. I, I know he lives the same way I know Caesar crossed the Rubicon, the same way I know Washington crossed the Delaware, because there is firm, reliable, historical record that tells me he lived. Have I seen that one? Not the one that I would like to imagine, the one that, well, this is a metaphor, the actual risen, living Christ. Do I know that's true? Do you know that is true? Have you personally encountered that one? Because that's where life is. That's where conquering death is found. And personally coming into contact with him. Not knowing somebody who's personally come into contact with him, but you yourself, have you personally encountered him? Have you personally embraced him in faith? That's what Easter comes to us and says. Christ has conquered death. Do we believe? Do we know? Do we understand that this is true? If you have not, I, I speak to you good news today. The key to you being victorious over death is not how many good works you can accomplish. It's not how great your faith can be. It's rather, do you have faith in the right one? Faith as small as a mustard seed in the right one is great enough to conquer death. Do you believe? If you have never done that, I urge you today with every fiber of my being, Believe. Believe the good news. You want to talk about it more? I'll be glad to talk about why we know that Jesus was raised from the dead and what this means for us. See me afterwards. Talk to a friend who you know is a believer, but don't just 
slough that off. Don't whistle in the dark past that. Central question in all of human history. Was Jesus raised from the dead or not? There's lots of things I struggle to understand in the scripture. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, then I know, okay, well then, because he's raised from the dead, he is who he said he is. He's done what he said he's done. I may not be able to answer every other question, but I know following him is the right path. And we'll figure it out as we go. Okay, do I know that? Do I believe that? Second, for those of us who have done that, Am I living in faith rather than in fear? Am I living in faith rather than in fear? Like John, every one of us here needs to hear, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I was dead. I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades and everything else. Do not fear. Now again, we live in fear of so many things. I live in fear that the economy is going to turn down, finances are not going to be there, and I'm going to struggle and not make it. But if Jesus rules over all things, if he has come before the ancient of days and given authority over all things, can he take care of me? He can. I live in fear of my reputation. What if people found out what I'm like? We already know because we're the same way. The way it is. We worry about our reputation. We even worry about what our reputation will be after we're gone. As if me lying in the grave would really care what people think about me after I'm gone. But we do, we worry about that. We worry about our children. And I have discovered now that my children are grown, I naively thought, here's a depressing thought for all you who sent kids upstairs. I naively thought, well, once they all hit 18, I am good to go, baby. Not so much. We can worry about our kids. And once you have them, grandchildren. We worry about the future because I don't know what tomorrow holds, which should not be a, a big news flash because Jesus said that. You, you can't even add one second to your life. You can't make yourself grow. You can't control one hair on your head, yet you all worry about all of these things. And he said that while he lived and told us, look, two sparrows that are sold for a penny in the marketplace, not one of them can fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. You can't do any of this. You can't control it, yet you're worried about it. Jesus now comes and says, and to prove that all this is true, I have met death, the greatest enemy. I have snatched the keys from him, and I am here. I, that one, am telling you, do not be afraid. I am not against you. I am for you. And if I am for you, it does not matter who or what is against you. I will care for you. And so Jesus comes to us as the risen living conqueror, having the keys and authority over everything. And he asks us, are you living by faith or are you living by fear? And there's, you know, the things we worry about, can they, you know, as Jesus said, can they change anything in our life? They cannot. 
So I want to encourage you, if you're here as a believer, Jesus is here for us, not against us. He doesn't always do things the way that I would like, but his intentions are always for his glory and my good. They will always work for his glory and my good. And if I understand this, and I understand that even in death, he is going to be for me and not against me. Even in death, he is going to exercise that authority for my good. If I understand that, that is a firm foundation to say, I do not need to live in fear. I can live by faith. So I want to encourage and urge us this morning to do exactly that. If you've got fears, give them to God. The good news of Easter is when he burst forth from that tomb, everything you and I feared was conquered. The grave is empty, and so are your fears. They're empty. There's nothing to them. We can live by faith. So why don't we stand together? We're going to close in prayer. And I want to encourage you, if, again, if you're not a believer and you want, becoming a Christian is as simple as crying out to God and saying, I, I believe, I, I want to walk with you. And if you do that, please see me. Um, secondly, if you're here as a believer, I want you to think for just a second. What fears are you struggling with? And when we pray, I want you to hand those over and say, Jesus, this thing is so small. You, you burst forth from the tomb. You are alive forever and ever, and I'm giving this thing over to you. Father, I thank you that we serve a risen, living Savior. Lord, in the Old Testament, Isaiah the prophet and others mocked all of the gods that we can make, gods who we make while you made us, gods who cannot hear or see while you are the one who gave us eyes and ears, gods who are dead while you are the living one who has given us life. And so, Jesus, we celebrate today that you are risen. You are risen indeed. We celebrate today that in you walking forth from the tomb, you are a, now ascended and you rule and reign over everything. There is nothing in this world, there is nothing in this universe that is outside your control. Father, as the, the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper said, there is not one square inch of the universe that Jesus Christ does not look and say, that is mine. Lord, you rule and reign over all things. Father, I pray that knowing that, being your people, we would rise up and say, of all people on this planet, we are going to live by faith, not by fear. Lord, we live in a world where we have a 24-hour news cycle that feeds off of fear. We have a 24-hour news cycle that reinforces our fears. Lord, there are so many things going on in our world today. But Jesus, we are reminded here on Easter that you have the keys and the authority over everything. And you are ruling everything for the glory of the Father and the good of your people. And so, Lord, I pray that we would give our fears to you. 
Lord, hear the prayers of your people right now as we hand over the things that we worry about, that we tie ourselves up in knots about, the things that keep us awake at night. Lord, in your graciousness, would you come and would you take those things away from us? Lord, by your grace, would we willingly give them over to you? And Father, would we look and see that next to death, those things are so small. They're so temporal. They're so short. And if you have conquered death and Hades, how will you not conquer these things for us? Oh Lord, would you give us eyes and faith to believe that nothing in this life, that in all of these things, we are more than conquerors, more than conquerors through him who loved us. Father, stir in us this week the faith that whatever we face, whatever the enemy would speak in our ears, we would have faith rise up and say, in Christ, God is for me, not against me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? And Father, as we understand that, I pray we would fling ourselves with abandon into serving you and serving others. That we would be willing to risk all knowing that you control all. And Father, we would do it for your glory. We would expend ourselves for the good of others knowing, Father, that our labor in you is not in vain because Christ is risen from the dead. Father, hear our prayer and do this, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better having the eyes of your heart being enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe, the same power he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and all authority and all power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. Go in that power and authority in the blessing of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. He is risen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.